Well, welcome to Guardian Talk back on to when you are at FM. Greg Richard here, joined with Scott Sharp. Great to see you back in the studio, Scott. Thank good to see you. It's you're a live person. I can touch. Uh, yep, all those things. Well, not, not touch too much. Okay, <laughs> okay. We'll leave that alone. But uh, yeah, look, you are. You're not a hologram, and we're here, and we're ready to take people's calls. Calls. Yeah. Are you chomping at the bit for this? It's been I, a while. I am, and I bet people are out there, they're going to have a lot of questions to ask today uh, because there must be some pent-up demand. We have answered some questions by email, but uh, in person's always nicer. Excellent. And we've got Dan from Bullaroo. He's got a question about tomato seedlings. Good afternoon, Dan. You're first up, first off the bat. Congratulations. Well, how, how about that? I've been waiting for some time. We've really missed you, I can tell you that. Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks. How can we help you this afternoon? I just wanted your opinion, your professional opinion on a disease called damping off. Um, I, I'm having trouble at the moment. I actually started out early with my tomato seedlings, uh, most probably in August, and um, I've got them to a stage where I've transplanted them in the garden and then basically they look great and everything else and then all of a sudden they fall over. Pull it out and it just looks like yeah, it's damping off. It's at the soil level. Um, it just that goes the stem just goes down to nothing. You know, it's just like a piece of string. Right, and and when you're pulling them out, uh, ha, look how sorry, how old are these tomatoes? They're just little seedlings, are they? Yeah, well, they they be nearly well. What happens when they fall over? They're about a foot tall. You know, they've got plenty of leaves, look really healthy, and then basically it looks like someone's actually put a rubber band and tightened a rubber band around the soil line, and um, then you pull it out, and, and there's just nothing there. Like it's just like above the soil soil line, um, you've got the normal sort of stem, and then underneath the soil line, you've got hardly nothing. It's just like a piece of piece of string sort of thing. So you're saying that there's really no uh, roots or anything there as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and now, look. Tell me about um, the, the place you've got the tomatoes. Is it fairly well drained? Have you planted and grown them there before in the past? No, I haven't. It's actually a brand new garden I made over winter, and um, I actually uh, got um, some soil. I got a full truckload delivered, yeah, and uh, an organic mix. And uh, yeah, no, it's beautiful soil, and I've tested it. And for the pH and everything, everything's beautiful in it. Um, everything else was going tremendous. It's just even like with the larger sort of hardware stores like that have nurseries, I've actually sort of got frustrated, and I've bought. Um, even sort of seedlings from them, and I still don't have success with them. I've sort of, I'm a bit disillusioned with the larger chains as far as their nurseries. I think it's like puppy farms knocking out the seedlings. <laughs> um, and I think you're actually buying diseases with that as well. Yeah, so... Look- uh, I won't get too far into that. But no, that that's all right. So we'll, we'll talk about damping off then. And it, it's like you said, it does. It just thins out and rots the, the stem of the tomato off at uh, at the soil level. It, yeah. Uh, it can be attributable to, you know, a fungal disease. So if possible, uh, have you got any copper spray or mancozeb at home that you can spray yeah. with? Yeah. Yes, yes okay. I do. So I, I would treat uh, with that. I would also just try, uh, for instance, watering in the early morning. Uh, right. And and just letting if you do need to water later on in the afternoon, try and do it at about two or three o'clock. But with tomatoes, yeah. it's always more about regular watering, uh, yeah. you know, rather than the, I guess the time of day. So as long as you're doing it in a regular fashion, then it's fine. But what you're trying to do is just stop that uh, fungal disease spreading and having moisture 
uh, you know, just hanging around the base of the plant. That's also why I was asking you whether it's, uh, you know, free-draining soil that you've got. And it sounds like it is, so it looks like you've ticked that box. Uh, but look, all well, I can see... soil's about 400 deep, so, you know, and it's, it's got a retaining wall around it. Yeah, okay, so, so that should be draining. Yeah, yeah does, absolutely. Yeah. So I would be starting to use some copper spray, uh, spraying that all over the leaves of the plant, letting it drench down around the stem of the plants uh, and right. actually drenching into the soil as well, just to make yep. sure there's no fungal spores in there. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it is something that, uh, you know, can be uh, on on the plants. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, fungal diseases love humid conditions. So, yeah. uh, you know, it just depends. You know, if it's raining, it's wet, and then we get the sun come out. Clouds are there, very humid. Uh, it's going to be more prevalent. So, I think some treatment uh, with uh, some copper spray or some mancozeb is going to do the yep. trick for you, and just try and keep it under control that way. And some regular watering, perhaps starting off in the morning, in uh, the morning, yeah, yeah, rather than later okay. on in the evening. All right. Well, that 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 uh, that's good. Though. I'll take that on board. Okay. The other thing I wanted to ask you about: um, I went away for a, a week uh, holidays, and I had a neighbour looking after the garden for me, like watering wise. Um, come back, and there was infestations of white fly. Ooh. Is that common for this time of the year? Yeah, white flies are really bad one uh, to try and get rid of as well. Uh, so they're just little sap-sucking flies that come around. Uh, they're more like an aphid than anything. We call them white flies, uh, but they are more like, more like an aphid or, or a little thrip. So they're yeah. in there doing a lot of damage to the, to the plant. Uh, look, pyrethrum spray uh, on tomatoes, probably the safest way uh, to try and get rid of it um, because you know it's not a really nasty chemical. It does yep. have some effect. The other thing you can use is, uh, you know, those sticky traps that you get. You know, it's like a, a sticky paper. Yeah, I've made some of them up. Yeah. yeah, so look, that's another way to try and get rid of it. And I have heard tell of people, uh, you know, going out there with the old vacuum cleaner and, uh, you know, giving them a, a little bit of a shake and then they all fly up into the air and try and suck them away that way. Um, I can imagine mum letting me do that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't take the good Dyson or whatever out there. <laughs> Turn it on oh, and start sucking up a you know whole lot of soil. But uh, look, I think using you know like a two or three pronged approach to it, the sticky paper, uh, some pyrethrum spray, just you know generally every few days to try and keep it under control. And if you can find an old Hoover, um, go and give that yep. a try as well. What's your thoughts on neem oil? Uh, yeah, look, neem oil's fine, but uh, you need to make sure if you're going to use it on edible plants, you just need to uh, read the back of the packet on neem oil and mm-hmm. make sure that you can use it on certain edible plants uh, because mm-hmm. there are uh, quite a few you can't use it on, so be very careful about neem oil on edible plants. Okay, then. All right. All right, well, thanks very much. You've been uh, most helpful, Scott, okay, and appreci- welcome back again. Thank, Thank you, you and appreciate the call. Thanks, Dan. Okay, bye-bye now. It's Gardening Talkback. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. I've actually got a question for you, Scott. There is pent-up demand. There is pent-up demand. I've been waiting for this for weeks now. It's a wonder you didn't get in before Dan from Bullaroo. You, you pushed in. I was going to, but I thought, oh, let, let, let the customer first. Okay, that, and that's the right attitude to have. So I, can what ask, is... I can ask you anytime, which I can ask now. I've done a bit of weeding. Yes. It was. I can't remember what the, so the weed is. It's those flat ones. Mm. With a, maybe a little flower goes up and they're big. And they're in the lawn? They're or in, in the lawn, yeah. yeah. Okay, and they've got a big... Are they the ones with like with big, deep tap root you have yes, to try and yes. prise out with the hammer and chisel? Yep. Yep, okay. So I try to weed them all by hand. Yes, how long did that take you? Uh, I think I got to about 20 or 30 before I decided to give up and realise... <laughs> 
I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. So, so didn't finish that job. What did, what did you do instead? I poisoned it. And how? With, did... Now half my lawn's gone. Right. What? How did you poison? What did you poison? I with? used Roundup. Okay. You've got to be really careful about that. So half the lawn's gone, just brown patches everywhere. Uh, yeah, a couple of brown patches, yeah. lovely brown patches. Oh, okay. So what happens is zero, even though you, your aim might be straight, yep. uh, it will still splash around as well. So you have to be very, very right. careful. Even though I was right up close on them. Yeah, I think it would have just gone, or the wind has caught a yep. little bit of it and just sent it. And it only needs the tiniest droplets to, to land uh, and it just creates, you know, carnage and mayhem with the rest of the lawn. Yep. Uh, if you're going to do it that way, you can get a paintbrush if you want to and just very carefully go around and paint, like just do a little dib and a dob in the middle of the weed. Pretending I'm painting some artwork or something. Or yes, absolutely. To little taps. And- the lawn is your canvas. <laughs> <laughs> or if the old-fashioned way was to get sulfate of ammonia and just put a little, you know, mound of it in there, it would just sort of burn a little core down through the weed and kill it that way. Right. How yeah. do I get my lawn back? Uh, just wait. Okay. Yep. Wait, wait for the rain. It'll rain. It will come back. Uh, don't be concerned about I've that. I've been stupidly getting clippings of other lawn and then sprinkle it over with a dig. That's not doing anything? No, that's not, that's not doing it at all. Oh, no, it's, no. There's me thinking I was being really smart. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Tara from Swansea and she wants to treat bindies, but she wants to know if it'll be dangerous for her pet rabbit. Good afternoon, Tara. Uh, how can we help you? You've got a pet rabbit, have you? Hi. Yes, I have a I have a pet rabbit, and do you recommend any bindi spray to spray on the lawn? Well, look, that I won't yes. harm the rabbit like the kids' rabbit. Ah, yes, that that's the that's the two part question. I do recommend bindi spray to spray on the lawn to keep it under control. But yeah. uh, as to what that's going to do to your your pet rabbit, uh, yeah, I, I think that might be a bit of an issue. Uh, Look, I've always thought that in these sort of situations, you're probably best to uh, you know actually call up the company that you buy the product from, or you know make some sort of contact with them because they have helplines that will be able to give you this sort of you know chemical expert advice. They've got scientists on hand that will be able to give you that sort of information. Um, Generally, I would think, though, that you'd want to wait, you know, at least seven days, uh, you know, before you put the rabbit back on there and probably after you've mowed the lawn as well. So, you know, I I would be waiting quite a considerable period of time before you put uh, the the animal back there. But uh, I I would, you know, call up, uh, you know, one of the chemical companies, you know, like Yates or there's a number of different chemical companies out there that make Bindi sprays and just get their specific advice about uh, how long you have to keep uh, you know an animal a grazing animal like a rabbit uh, off the grass so I think it's a bit different for dogs and cats and uh, and you know other sort of domestic animals but with a, a rabbit that's going to actually mm. eat the grass I'd be waiting at least seven days probably waiting to you know mow as well uh, okay yep. and, and then uh, you know put the, the animal back out there but always check up uh, with the the company that you've bought that from they have uh, experts on hand all the time who can answer those questions okay lovely thank you okay thank you very much tara and good luck okay thank, thank you, you. Bye. bye and we got bev from toronto she's got a question about the orchid good afternoon bev how can we help you oh well i hope you can it's a mystery i think i spoke to you before about it some time back but i had was given an orchid and i think it was um uh I think it was a Singapore anyway. Um, it, I had the two flower spikes on it and they died off. So one looked a bit dry, so I cut it off. And then someone said, well, don't cut the other one off because it might shoot another flower. So I left it. And it's about 
12 inches long from the main plant and uh, it started to produce something and it, it came up with some leaves, a little cluster of leaves and they're growing and now I've got about five um, aerial roots on it and that's all up in the air about seven inches from the main plant. Oh, okay. That that's interesting. Don't be worried about those aerial roots. Uh, the the Singapore orchids, the Phalaenopsis, do put out aerial roots. So don't don't be concerned mm-hmm. about like that. It it even means that they're liking the the situation in a way. They because you know they're a plant that actually just uses their roots to cling onto the the branches of trees in the rainforest. Uh, so right. whether they're in the soil, it, that doesn't really matter. And you probably notice that the the soil mix that you've got them in is is quite barky and, and free flowing. Uh, so they don't really yeah. need to be in the soil. So don't be concerned about that. Uh, but mm. it sounds good that your plant's growing. Have you been mm. regularly feeding it? Um, yeah, I have been giving... Oh, well, I suppose every few weeks I've given it the um, um, orchid liquid um, feed. And um, it's in moss. I, I had some moss there and I um, took out the original... Um, they were in because it didn't look too good and then I put that in and it, it's come on. It's got another aerial root down below off the main plant. Yes. So uh, I, it looks so odd and I, I thought, well, what's it going to do now? Yeah, I, I've <laughs> never really heard of them sort of growing you know, up like that, almost from the flower stem. Do you think it's mm. possible at all to somehow snip it off and, and you know, create a second plant from it? Is that the form of it going to allow you to do that or not? Well, that's what I was going to ask you because I thought, well, it it must be um, getting, you know, fed and watered from the the flower root that goes back to the initial mm. plant. Mm. And I thought if I cut it off, it might just all shrivel up and die. Yeah, look, I, I guess it might, but if it's starting to look a bit odd or, you know, starting to spill over and affect the plant too much it might be something you just have to cut off and then let it you know rely on its own aerial root system to try and survive mm. I, I thought of doing that you know i'm planting it in some uh, more moss like the parent plant to see if that you know did anything for it? Yeah. I don't want to cut it off and have it die. <laughs> yeah, well, look, don't don't cut it off yet. But uh, how how good are you with your technology and your telephone? If you wanted to uh, send us in a picture, oh, I'd love to do that. Yes, yeah, I can do that. Oh, very good, mm. very good. Um, mm. So, look, I might get you to e- email a, a quick picture of it into us because that'll be able, you know, I'll be able to. Uh, you know, get more of an idea of just a bit, uh, you know, uh, how it looks at the moment. Uh, it's, you know, right. vi- sometimes visualising things isn't the best thing to do, but I know that Greg's, know. Greg's ready to give you the email address. Which is Good. gardening at 2 Sorry, you're it's, too quick. What was it? Gardening at 2 Gardening yep. at 2 at Dot com. Yep, that's correct. Yep, that's correct. You've got to go a bit slow for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, okay. So, look, if you send us in that, we'll have a chat about that as well. All right, that'll be lovely. I'll send it off straight away. Okay, that's, that's great. Thank you for the call, Bye-bye. Bev. Okay, Thank have a nice afternoon. We've got Brian now from Ellie Barna, and she's got a question about roses. Good afternoon, Brian. How can we help you with your roses? G'day, Scott. How are you? Pretty well, pretty well. 
Well, I've got quite, well, I think I've got about 18 roses all along the front of my house, and they are invaded with aphids. You've never seen, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And I've been spraying, but I can't kill them. Like, they don't, and in, in among the aphids are these tiny little white, white, Mites, you might call them. That's mm-hmm. how tiny they are. And I've used two different brands of, of of spray, and neither of them, whether they've stopped, when I say stopped them, grow, um, enlarging and getting worse, I don't know. But they're on every rose now. Yeah, and and they mostly on the new growth as well because they, you know, yeah. the aphids just yeah. love the new growth. It's soft, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, soft and juicy for them, so they'll have a good suck away yeah. at that. Now, um, look, Brian, what have you been spraying it with? Well, uh, just the shop, you know, I've, everything that I've the two brands I've used are different. I can't know. Brunnings, I think, had oh, yeah, rose spray, yeah. and I can't remember the second one. Now I've got some Malathon. Mm-hmm. Is it too? Is that too strong for no, them? No, look, it's certainly not too strong. And and if you're having troubles, it might be worth using some Malathon. Uh, now yeah. the only trouble it is, uh, you know, you just have to be a bit careful. You know, spraying it around, especially if the bees are out and about, you don't want to be getting yeah, them. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. So in a way, if you just you know up to the roses and just give them a you know just a little light squirt and let that run down the you know the branches of the rose to try and get rid of that, the aphids. Yeah, yeah. So that that's what I want because yeah. like when you use these hand, you know the ones they you, you buy. Yes, it doesn't seem to put the volume out just enough to go onto the leaves. It doesn't travel down the trunks of them. Yeah, and it seems to mist out a little bit more than you want it to oh. do. So have you got a, a like one of those pressure sprays that you can... Yes. yes okay. Yes. I'd, I'd mix up some Malathon in that and then just go around your roses and, you know, very, very carefully just aim your spray down the, the trunks of, you know, or down the stems of the of the rose yeah. and around the new growth and, and do it that way. Uh, it's, you know, it's safer for the rest of the insects in the in the big wide world, uh, but yeah. you will keep those aphids under control yeah, if well, you do that. I, you, I notice the ladybirds on them and that, they don't worry me, in, you know, I'm, well, the, the ladybirds—they're doing—they're doing the good job. They're actually there trying to eat the aphids and oh. and the little aphid <laughs> nymphs as well. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's you're sort of creating a bit of a, a feast uh, yeah. for the ladybirds. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, the aphids are getting out of control. Like, oh yeah, you, you've got no idea. All right, thanks, Scott, for your help. Okay, thank you for that, Brian. Okay, we'll talk to you okay. later. Bye bye. You will. Bye now. You must have some fat ladybirds there, by the sounds oh, of it. I sound like it's. A- Feast there for him. I'd be lucky to take off. <laughs> just lying on the ground. Yeah. We've got Denise now, and she's got a question about the hydrangea. Afternoon, Denise. How can we help you? Hi, Scott. Lovely to speak with you. Thank you. Um, my, daughter, my daughter is in uh, Merriweather, and they do have a one big, very antique hydrangea in their yard, uh, in, their, on the, in their garden, and they wanted to extend the, the, um, the garden down the side of the house and put more hydrangeas in. Now, I've, I've gifted them another five, but is it okay, like, with the morning sun? Can it take the morning sun yes. with the hydrangeas? Yes, absolutely. They they look, I love the morning sun. Uh, awesome. 
I have seen hydrangeas, and I and I do remember there was a house uh, in Merriweather over near Empire Park over there in Bar Beach Avenue, and they had hydrangeas out in the scorching full sun. They're probably getting the salt and the wind on them as well. Uh, look okay. They didn't look like you know they were absolutely pristine, but they were certainly surviving very well. And that was in the full afternoon sun. So your hydrangea, oh, wow. yeah. So your daughter's hydrangea uh, at Merriweather is going to do be fine with the salt conditions and also uh, you know just getting some morning sun it will absolutely love that and you'll get plenty of flowers off at uh, November December oh fantastic you've made my day thanks Scott okay that's (laughs) not a problem at all we like to be uh, efficient and helpful here (laughs) well you certainly have you did that my friend thank you okay thank you Denise have a nice afternoon okay bye Bye -bye. you too bye bye got time for a couple more callers and we've got Matt from Warrata and he's got a question about his dry bromelades Hey, Matt, how can we help you? Mate, uh, Scott, I've been given a giant bromeliad, and it's the big purple, I can't remember the proper name. Yeah, yeah look, they're called Alcantarias. Yeah. That's it, Alcantaria. Yes. Yes. Um, I was at a mate's at Caves Beach, and his next-door neighbour has giant bromeliads that would bring a tea to a glass eye there, that beautiful. <laughs> They are. They're huge, aren't they? I mean, they, they, those plants can get, sort of get a metre, a metre and a half across, and then the flower spikes that come out of them are, are gigantic. They're, they're truly stunning, aren't they? Well, mate, I, I was one of the first hired. I worked at Hunter Valley Gardens mm-hmm. for a few years, and I've never seen them before. And I've been given a pup that I've planted. Yes. But in two weeks, it's sort of done not much. Yeah. Look, that, that's all right. I, I wouldn't expect a young plant like that that's just gone in the ground to do too much over a couple of weeks, um, especially, you know, it's been slightly disturbed. Just keep on treating it as normal. Keep on watering it. Uh, you know, I, I would think more sort of, you know, six weeks to two months before you start to see the thing stir, uh, you know, too much. But are they better being as large in a big pot? Like, um my mate's neighbour, old Mac and Jen, I tell you, this garden at Caves Beach, mm-hmm. absolutely magnificent. The, um, the, are they better in a pot or...? Well, I, I think in, in a pot to get them going is fine, but obviously if they get to a metre, a metre and a half you know, wide, that's just going to be far too big. So you need to get them in the ground then. Yeah. Uh, now, they will withstand the full sun. Uh, I, I don't know here in Newcastle, you know, when we're in the middle of January when it's really, really hot, um, whether it's going to be fantastic for them then. So if you are starting it off in a pot, you can move it around and just give it a little bit of shade, uh, you know, for the first uh, year or so, uh, and then eventually plant it out in the ground, you know, perhaps where it's just getting out of the full sun, say, you know, two or three o'clock in the afternoon. I think that would be a great spot for it. Beautiful. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Okay. Now, look. You know the other thing. You know the other thing about them. Once they flower, that's the the signal for them to die as well. Unfortunately. So. Yes. Yeah. It's like any bromeliad. You get this beautiful flower out of them, uh, but once it's done that, it's uh, yeah, it's time for it to uh, leave this mortal coil. And this is the darkest of dark purple that I've I've ever seen. And and old Max was flowering last week when I was there, and literally inches overnight. Yeah, look, and that's that's what happens. It, it happens so quickly. And I, I've, I've never actually, I've always wondered if you can stop them flowering by cutting the flower out, uh, you know, like with the garves. But I, I think, you know, you're sort of missing the point that, uh, you know, especially with these alcantarias, the flowers are just magnificent. So, um, yeah, probably just let, them, let nature take its course and get one of the pups off it. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks, thanks for your time. Okay, good on you. Thank you very much for the call, Matt. Appreciate right, it. Right. Thanks, Scott. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers, thank you. That is Guarding Talk back for another week. Oh, the first one over and many more ahead of us. Many more, hopefully, to yes. come ahead for us. Scott Sharp, great to have you back in the studio with us. Anything else you want to add before you go, though? I, I just I want to see your lawn. I want to see the the, the sort of the Picasso-like <laughs> painting, the, the the canvas you've created with your front lawn. It is a little bit like a Picasso-type lawn at the moment, but hopefully they get a bit of grass growing back well, on there. It might be a join the dots type situation. We'll see what you've actually you've actually created out there. Well, I'm glad to know that throwing glass grass clippings on there doesn't work. No, it doesn't. It's uh, like a right royal idiot. Yeah, it's like wallpaper. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.